morning, y'all. How y'all are? Good. Uh, I'm James. I'm the discipleship pastor. Um, and on certain occasions, I get up here and talk. It's weird. I feel like I'm in a mirror world. Like I'm trying to, this is the first time I've preached since we did the new setup, so I'm kind of like trying to get my bearings. Um, <clears throat> epiphany. That's a $10 word. Um, it basically just means, you know, aha, I discovered this. Um, I was writing my sermon, and I uh, was thinking about that concept of discovery. Um, and I, I thought about a television show. Um, so when Bree and I uh, first got together, we... Um, we had weird schedules. Uh, I did day classes, and I worked nights as a pizza manager, so I didn't get off till like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and she was a normal person and had a normal job that was during the day. Um, but we didn't get to spend a whole lot of normal people time together. Um, so we couldn't like go out to restaurants or anything, because I always got off at like 2 o'clock. Um, one of the things that has kind of been a mainstay in our relationship has been television shows. Um, so we would always, like, I would come home, and she'd stay up with me for half an hour, an hour, we'd watch a TV show, and we got to the point where we would, like, watch through, like, entire television series like that, um, and we've watched a bunch of different stuff. Uh, one of the ones early in our relationship that we watched all the way through um, was Third Rock from the Sun. <coughs> and I'm not stretching, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, in all seriousness, this show is all about epiphanies, the whole show. Uh, the one thing in particular, that's French Stewart, by the way, if, if you're unacquainted. French Stewart plays kind of the bumbling, like little brother kind of character in the, in the show. Um, I don't want to say bad things about his intelligence, but he's not the smartest guy in the world. Um, he literally, like this, this crew of aliens comes to Earth, and he kind of like last minute just gets like stuck on the crew. Like he doesn't really have a job, he's just there. Um, and so they use him for all sorts of stuff and he's obviously like the major source of comic relief. But uh, the first episode, they're figuring out their bodies. Like they don't know anything really. They have some really crude information about humanity and about Earth and they're trying to figure out their bodies. And uh, you know, French is like, oh, I've got, I've got holes in my face, you know? Um, and then, like, this one's leaking, and, like, you know, oh, there's, there's more. Like, he's really freaked out about all the holes on his head. And at one point, they find this apartment, and, uh, and Harry comes, like, screaming out of the kitchen. And he's like, I can't see. I can't see. And the intelligence officer goes, open your eyelids. And he goes, oh, they're manual. This whole show is like that. Like, I don't know how many seasons there are, but, and it's stuff that you don't even think about, you know, like, as a human, because you're just born into this human body. But they discover things about, you know, the, the lady that's the, uh, she's like the military commander. She's like one of the best, like, security military commanders on their, in their society. And she's putting a woman's body 
and so she gets to deal with all the like societal weirdness you know that women have to go through but she's this like super strong super like capable person and it's great but it's all about discovering what it is to be human and discovering what it is to live here on earth and all the weirdness uh, that ensues that's what we're talking about today not third rock but about discovery <laughs> right um i guess i could give a quick synopsis of no um <clears throat> so yeah what I want you to keep in mind as I go through this, though, is the number two. Um, what we're, there we go. Uh, today we're going to be talking about two traditions, East and West. Uh, we're going to talk about two different stories, and we're going to talk about two different views of Jesus. So the number two is really important. Um, so just keep that in mind as, as we walk through. The first tradition we're going to talk about uh, is our tradition um, the Western tradition. And when in the West, in the Western church, when we talk about Epiphany, um, we're talking about the kings, right? We three kings, there's songs about it, and they come and they meet Jesus, and they've got, you know, not casseroles and diapers. That would have been way better. Um, but they got gold and frankincense, and we, we can, there's tons of ink spilled on this subject, and and people talk about it, but, but that's our tradition, right? When we talk about epiphany and, and discovery and th- this holiday on our calendar, it's about the three wise men. Um, and that story is found in Matthew 2, uh, 1 through 11. I'm going to run through this real quick. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Take a break for a second. Part of the reason he was so disturbed was this was kind of the time period where like it was good to have an heir, but if you had like say you had a son and he was starting to get a little bit older and maybe a little bit stronger, then it might be one like one day you don't wake up and then your son's king kind of thing, like very Game of Thrones sort of, you know, uh, like, ah, oh, there's all this treachery. So he was, he actually didn't have any uh, heirs at the time, and so he was actually sitting pretty. He was like, look, I'm, I got some life left. There's no one trying to kill me. Like, I'm good. So when they were like, hey, there's a king that's been, you know, the Jews, they've got this king, and he's like, what? what? Sorry, what was that? Uh, so he was disturbed. Um, and all Jerusalem with him, going back to reading, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Just checking, you know. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Then they read this prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Yeah, right. After... They had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I'm guessing they went through Europe. Um, that's a joke. Uh, so, so yeah, so we get, we get these three guys, and they show up, and they're like, hey, we, uh, we've been studying the star, and it showed up, and when they get there, they're like, we're looking for this guy, and King Herod's like, oh, what guy? Just, and you let me know when you find him. Um, and he's like, but, you know, how are we supposed to know where he's at? Well, these prophecies have existed, and all these people knew about it, and so they were like, you know, the one that was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. Oh, that king of the Jews, that guy. He's like, yes, that one. Um, but King Herod, bad dude. Um, so the epiphany, like the discovery here, um, is that Jesus is in some way set apart, right? So we have this, this person that we're looking for who's been born into the world, um, we know that uh, some people are looking for him, and we know that him being here is part of prophecy. It's a big deal, right? Um, so that's the one view of Jesus at this point, is that he is, for all intents and purposes, this Messiah that people have been looking for. Um, and we know that because some weird stuff happened around his birth. Um, I don't know about y'all, but when I was born, despite what my mother will tell you, you know, there were not astrological anomalies going on. Like, st stars weren't showing up, planets weren't moving. My mom thinks I'm God's gift to the rest of the planet, but I guarantee you there was nothing special going on the night that I was born. Um, so that happened, and uh, so normal people don't get stars, right? The other issue is... Um, that he's born in this pretty obscure kind of backwoods place, uh, and there's a prophecy about it. Uh, that's important. If a prophecy exists and someone comes along and they start fulfilling prophecies literally from birth, you know something's up. Um, so the prophecy that they're talking about um, goes all the way back to Micah 5, the prophet who says, but you... Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, big deal if you're already the king there, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Those are powerful words. So if the, if the person we're looking for is fulfilling this prophecy, there's about to be some big changes. Because not only, not only is it special, but they, like his entire influence is going to reach across the world. Like we're, not even talking, we're not even talking here in Bethlehem or, or in Judea or anything, everywhere. Everyone's going to know about this guy. He's a big deal. <clears throat> um, the other thing we discover about Jesus in this scene is that much like you and me, he is a people 
Um, so a bunch of really cool stuff did happen when he was born. Um, and it got me to thinking about what happens uh, when gods are born. Um, crazy stuff happens. Uh, so I went back to like, uh, like the Greek and Roman mythology and kind of started looking up the origin stories. So there were these forces that existed. I'm really butchering this, so if you know a lot about Greek and Roman, just excuse me for a minute. But there are these forces that existed. They're really non, like, we think of as gods, but basically these really ethereal, uh, like chaos and, and stuff like that. Um, and out of those were born uh, some of the gods that we think of when we think of Greek gods like Zeus. Um, and then they give birth to a, another generation of gods through a bunch of weird happenings. Like, uh, like one of them's literally like born out of the sea foam. Um, he, Zeus births a series of gods literally out of the top of his head. Like he's like, I'm going to have a kid. And then they like just pop out of his head, right? Not normal. Um, <clears throat> we think of like the samsaric religions, like, like, uh, like Buddhism and Hinduism. And even, so like, uh, like when most people think of Buddha, they think of the, it's called the Gautama Buddha um, you know, the one sitting in the lotus position. Um, so the story behind that is that um, he started out as a regular man, a prince named Siddhartha, um, but he had this royal lineage, and he was, like, inside these uh, castle walls, and, and he was really privileged, and then he found out about, like, he didn't even know about people getting sick until he was an adult. Um, but he lived this, like, super privileged life, and, and then he, he discovers, um, like, the way, the path. Um, some gods simply, like, exist from the beginning of time. Uh, we know Jesus has eternal beginnings. Like, John 1, 1 tells us that he was there from the beginning of time. But when, when the Magi come and they, they find him, he's a baby. That's it. When they, Matthew's very clear. Like, they walk in, and they find a baby in his mother's arms. Can't get any simpler than that. I would say most of us have been in that position. The words that come to mind are humble and simple and familiar. He's, his birth kicks off astrological anomalies and the movement of kings and, and this search by you know, the king and his land. Ultimately, I mean, we can only assume that he's going to try and find him and kill him, right? But at the same time, when he's found, he's literally found in the same position that you and I are. It's just a baby. Think about that presentation for a minute. What other god would put themselves in such a vulnerable position? Right? What is more vulnerable, vulnerable in this world than a baby? Have you, ever, have you ever felt vulnerable before? You know, have you ever felt um, at the whim or at the mercy of another person? It's got to be one of the most uncomfortable human feelings that we can have because we're not in control, right? 
we worship a Savior that knows exactly what we mean when we say, I feel vulnerable. I feel small. I feel unprotected. Because he was like that. So the two views of Jesus is that he's set apart, right? He is holy and he is, he is meant for greater things. He's our savior, but at the same time, he's literally just like you and me. He's Messiah and he's human. Let me see you do that, Zeus. Not really. The epiphany is, is mainly about this revelation of Jesus as Messiah. Um, but the, the dichotomy there is important, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, the other tradition in the Christian church, capital C, involving everyone, um, is the Eastern tradition. Uh, and that has to do, so we celebrate roughly the same time, depends on what calendar you follow, um, but if you're in the Eastern tradition, so if you're in the Russian Orthodox Church or the Ukrainian Orthodox Church or um, any number of the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, when you talk about Epiphany, you talk about Jesus' baptism by John. It's not about the kings, it's about that. Um, quick aside, don't Google image search, um, Eastern Orthodox and baptism. Uh, because a huge proponent, one of the traditions is they cut a hole in the ice, because this is like all cold parts of the world, right? And they get down in the water and they kind of like cleanse themselves as a ritual. A huge fan of the Russian Orthodox Church is Vladimir Putin, and that dude takes any opportunity he can to take his shirt off and get in front of a camera. And when you look for baptism in Eastern Orthodox Church, like 20 pictures of Vladimir Putin with his shirt off are like the first thing you see. It was really weird, and I didn't feel right searching at, at work. <laughs> so, so many topless photos of Vladimir Putin. Um, just right there. Uh, man, so Matthew 3... 13 through 17. I'm just, this is a real fast one. Uh, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus repo- replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let me start from the human side. Um... Remember, I was talking about Jesus as a baby, talking about that vulnerability. So one thing we can do to be vulnerable is when we submit to someone else, right? Um, like I have a boss at work. There's a hierarchy 
in the church, in our church. Um, there's a hierarchy at home. Um, it's one thing to give due diligence to someone who's been placed over you, right? Like, I should listen to my boss. It's actually kind of my job to listen to my boss. Um, but one of the most humble acts is when, say, for instance, my boss comes to me and says, uh, James, what are your thoughts on this? I think we should do, you know, you've got some experience in this. I think we should do what you want to do. That's amazingly humble for him, and it's humbling for me. You know, we can do the same thing in our family. Sometimes, you know, um, safely submitting to the will of a small child is one of the most humbling things that I can think of. Um, Sometimes I do just want to come home from work and sit down and not be bothered. But do we play board games? Do we play, you know, turn into a transformer and let him shoot little, yeah, yeah, we do. Um, It's incredibly humbling to be in charge of someone and say, no, no, I want to know what you think about this. It's incredibly human. So when Jesus meets John, and they're not strangers. John knows, this isn't like a magic trick. John knows who he is, right? Um, You know, we see early on, before he's even born, uh, Mary visits John's mother, and John leaps inside her womb. He's known, literally, since before he was born, who Jesus is. Long time. But when he comes to John, John's been doing this ministry in the desert where he's baptizing people and calling them to repent and calling out the religious leaders and telling people, look, the real thing is coming. It's on its way. The only way to do it is repent of your sins and come in and be baptized. And then when Jesus shows up, who's the one they're waiting on? He's the star of the show. Jesus says, no, go ahead and baptize me. And John goes, no, I can't. (laughs) Why? I can't do that. And Jesus goes, no. It's what you were meant to do. Just like anybody else, baptize me. Despite John's protest, Jesus is baptized. The epiphany moment, right, is another one of these fulfillment of prophecy moments, right? Uh, You go back to verse 15. It says, uh, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So what's being fulfilled? In Matthew 3, uh, we see this verse, and it's actually a, a, like a paraphrase of another verse from Isaiah uh, 43. Um, it says, this is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. This is Matthew talking about Isaiah. Quote, a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That prophecy is about John clearing the way for Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, I, I know you're excited, and I'm here, right? And we're, we're going to get down to business, right? We're going to do this thing. But there's prophecies. There's steps to this, right? We've got we to do, do the steps, right? And one of the things is you've prepared the way. I want to participate in that. Let's do it. 
So it just, it just solidifies Jesus' position as the Messiah, right? Because he's ticking off all of these boxes, all of these prophecies. From the time he was born to the time he gets baptized to all the time after that, Jesus is saying, yep, that's me. I'm him, the one you've been looking for. It's me. Now, not to mention, not to mention the fact that once he's baptized, the entire heavens split open. You know, like, and it says Jesus is the one that sees the Holy Spirit. We, there's debate about whether or not other people saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come down. We can only safely assume that they heard some semblance of the voice of God. I'm sure when he speaks, everyone listens. Um, by the way, if you're ever looking for a good example of how the Trinity is super confusing and how God exists in three parts but all in the same place at the same time, case in point, that's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're the same thing, but they're different things, and they're all in the same place. Good luck with that. What we see again is Jesus revealed as human and Messiah. He submits. He's just a, he's just a person. Look, I'm just here to do this thing that you've been doing. You're my cousin. I'm, I'm part of your ministry. I'm going to submit to what you're doing. I'm just a person. But also, I'm here to fulfill truckloads of ancient philosophy, or ancient uh, prophecy. Thank you. Truckloads of ancient prophecy, like all in one fell swoop, right? Not philosophy, that's silly. Um, <laughs> philosophers are so silly. Uh, here he is. Time and time again, ticking these boxes off, this prophecy over and over again. Okay, so we've talked about the traditions, two traditions, two different stories, two different ways to look at God, right? Human, Messiah. Why is that important? Because <clears throat> you've got these two traditions. You've got Jesus as man and Jesus as Messiah. It creates a way. What I mean by that is when you look through like Greek and Norse mythology, right, the, the God-man relationship is incredibly contentious. Um, it's about God's sometimes tricking their people. It's about God's sometimes taking stuff from their people, asking them to, to try and attain these unattainable feats or ways of life. It's about, it's about God's asking people um, to become almost godlike in order to fulfill some purpose. It's about being asked to follow lists of rules that are just virtually impossible to do as people. But the, the miracle, right, of, of this dichotomy between Jesus as man and Messiah, uh, the real miracle, the, the Christmas miracle, you know, the one that we get all warm and fuzzy inside, it's about God reaching out of the heavens and then just for a moment connecting the bridge for us 
and saying, I'm not here to trick you. I'm not here to take anything from you. I want to not only tell you how to save yourselves, how to live a life, I'm going to show you. So I'm going to come down, I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to start out like a baby, and I'm going to live a life, and I'm going to work in my dad's carpenter shop, and I'm going to put in the sweat, and I'm going to put in the tears, and I'm going to put in the blood, and I'm going to show you that I care because I know what you've been going through because I've done the same thing. But all along, all the while he's doing this, he's fulfilling these prophecies. And he's saying, I'm doing it with you, but I'm also doing it for you. So in the story of the Magi, Christ is worshipped and revered like a deity. Right? These kings come from far away. They bow down to him. But he's found with his mom like a baby. Years later, he's getting baptized, and he follows this ritual and this custom of the people that live in this area, possibly hundreds of other people. He's not special. John's been baptizing people for years at this point. He's doing the same thing everybody else has been doing. He submits to John. But in doing so, he fulfills the scripture and a prophecy and solidifies his position as Messiah. Jesus bridges that gap and becomes both man and God. Remember before I said the Trinity was confusing? It's more confusing. How can someone be fully man and fully God? This is how. He bridges that gap. Like John came and made straight the way for the Messiah, he cleared the way, and he got people prepared, Jesus takes us that extra step. He is the way, right? We know that verse. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's the way that John was preparing, was Jesus' coming. So we've got two traditions, two stories, two views of Jesus. We study Epiphany because it's how Jesus reveals to us that he understands us and he's here to save us, right? It's all about these discoveries, all about this, oh, these aha moments, these my eyelids work this way moments, right? It's about discovering. And he doesn't make us solve puzzles or, or plow through books of riddles or do epic quests or, or do any of this amazing stuff. He just literally brings it to us on a silver platter and says, I know you've been looking for this guy. Look no further. It's me. I'm here. It's important to remember that Jesus' humanity is also confirmed in these stories time and time again. He understands absolutely understands. So when you go to him and you pray, I, I can't imagine praying to a God like Zeus and saying, I wish you could understand what it's like to be tired, to work all day, and to come home and feel like you got to give that little extra bit to your kids. Zeus, Help me with that. 
He doesn't understand that. Right? Like maybe in like a theoretical way. But to pray to a God who's been there and who's worked long days and who's been rejected by people and who's had to deal with the same thing. I'm sure Jesus had a stomach ache at some point. You know? Like, any problem you've got, he knows because he's been here and he's done this. Jesus' humanity is so important to the story of Epiphany. Either one. Yeah, it's, a, it's about him revealing himself as Christ. And it's about him fulfilling the prophecies and Messiah. But even more so, it's about him saying, I get it. So when you get down, when you're trying to do the Christian thing and you're trying to live this life and you're trying to be good to people even though you're tired and we just got done with the holidays and you're all happy and cheered out and your bank account's tapped and everything, I get it. Two traditions, two stories, two views, one path. Without that humanity, God is out of reach. Let me say that again. Without Jesus, both Messiah and human, he's out of reach. He's up there somewhere. Jesus coming to us is is the ultimate act of grace. The revelation, the real revelation of epiphany is this, that the path made straight and simple by God reaching down from the heavens and giving us this opportunity to discover him as Savior. That's the gift of epiphany, right? We discover Jesus as Messiah. He fulfills those things, but at the same time, he bridges that gap. We're talking to a God who understands. We're talking to a God who's been there.